Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today's guest, Chris Rich. And he is the owner of AZ Fly Shop in Arizona. And we're going to talk to him all about his shop and his fly fishing all over the world and all the great fishing in and around his fly shop and all the charitable work that he's been doing around uh, Phoenix and all that. So let me see if I can get him on the phone. Chris. Hey, guy. How you doing, man? I'm doing outstanding. Um, you know, I, I met you at uh, Delta Days, and uh, I was, you know, super fired up because you're so passionate about your uh, fly shop, and I go, I got to get this guy on my podcast, man, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. You know, I love, you know, that passion is just so, you know, it's, it, I, I'm very passionate, you know, as well about my store and my guide service and all that, and I just, it's so refreshing to see somebody else so stoked, you know, and, and I want to talk to you all about that, but if you wouldn't mind letting folks know, you know, uh, who you are and what you do and all that, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I'm a second generation Arizona native, grew up in the greater Phoenix area. And I've been fly fishing Arizona for over 45 years. Wow. I've been lucky enough to fish around the world. I can't remember all the places I've been. Mm -hmm. The chalk streams in England and Scotland, Ireland, Slovenia, I, uh, I mean, I say I, I can't Iceland, Spanish Pyrenees, um, haven't been down to Central America. I'm going down to the, uh, Amazon and South America this year. Nice. I've been down into Mexico, uh, fish quite, I guess Mex Mexico, Central America, North America. Well, yeah, I guess that's, uh, down in the central it's zone. Little... It depends on where you're at in Mexico, huh? Close, close, yeah. 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 Let's go back to geology, uh, geography class in <laughs> <Yeah>. high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I fly fished a lot. I grew up fly fishing. Mm -hmm. um, and Phoenix used to have a great fly shop as I was growing up. I mean, I remember just being, you know, a, a 10, 11, 12 years old, and I'd save my money from mowing yards and raking, mm -hmm. raking leaves up in the fall. Mm -hmm. And I'd go down there and they'd, you know, get new fly time material. They've helped me out. But yeah. we, we had a period in Phoenix where we didn't have what I would consider to be, you know, a great full service type fly shop. And I think what happened is, is I actually know the guy that had the fly shop when I was a kid growing up is John Romer. So John Romer invented the Arizona semi-seal material. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with that. I'm sure most people are. He sells yeah. it all over the world. Yeah. He still makes it. He still lives up in the mountains in Arizona. I, I fish with him quite a bit, talk to him a lot. And, uh, but he got, you know, Cabela's, Bass Pro, Sportsman, the big box stores kind of all came to town in the early 2000s. And the convergence of the internet really got going in the fly fishing community. And he just wasn't set up to deal with it. And it, 
it just crushed him and he, he ended up going out of business. So there'd been a period where we didn't have that kind of shop in town. I really craved one. I, I love going to fly shops everywhere I go around the world sure. and around the country. And I said, you know what? If, if nobody else is going to open the shop Phoenix in Phoenix, I guess it's up to me. Nice. I love it. So we, we, we opened a shop. It's been a, um, almost two years now. Uh, the community has been very receptive to the shop being there. We've uh, had a lot of people come through the doors and a lot of, uh, it's been fun. Is it, it's been really fun. Is it downtown Phoenix where you're at or where are you? You know, we're not, we're not, if you look at a map of Phoenix, we are almost smack in the middle, which is not downtown. Okay. We're just off the 51 freeway on Cactus Road. Uh, You know, it's it's just not, it's not downtown. It's an easy to get to from a lot of different places in the valley because it's right, it's literally right on the exit of a freeway. From the time that you decided to open up your shop, so where you actually opened up the, the doors, how long did that take? And what was that like? Oh man, that went quick. Really? That went quick. Cool. Yeah, actually, the, it went pretty quick and actually the vendors, uh, you know, all the suppliers. Yeah. When they, when we called and said, Hey, we're, we're opening a shop, you know, in April and it was February, late in February. <clears throat> oh wow. And later they all told us, yeah, there's no way this isn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> And it did happen. So, uh-huh. so what happened was I did a video. I've got a YouTube channel, Lazy Fly Shop on YouTube. And I had been doing some adventure videos uh, prior to opening the shop. So I did a video, Phoenix, we're going to have a fly shop. This is what it's going to be. This is what the vision of it is. This is where it's going to be. Awesome. And people started to show up and volunteer. Oh, isn't that cool? It was the coolest thing. So literally we had, I owned the building. It used to be a doctor's office for 20 years. Yeah. And so we had to tear down walls and rebuild this thing. And Mm -hmm. and I would say 90% of the tear down and rebuild was all volunteer work. Nice. I mean, it was really neat to see the community come out, you know, contribute. And it happened literally from, it was late February. So March, and it was, it was literally almost two and a half months to the day when we said, yes, let's go. And it was, it was on its way. Our grand opening day, we had over 850 people walk through the door. That's awesome. So there's a big uh, fly fishing following in, in Phoenix, sounds like. Oh, God. Oh, it's, it's really, um, well, there's six, seven million people here. Yeah. And is there, is so there, is there sheer numbers? I mean, yeah. Is there a, is there a fly club there too that everyone hangs out? There's, with? there's several, there's several fly clubs. There's oh, Arizona wow. fly casters. There's desert fly casters. Oh, sun city fly casters, sun lakes fly casters are, are in the Phoenix area. And then there's some, you know, Northern Arizona fly caster clubs, fly fishing clubs as well. So, um, you basically got to with the vendors, Hey man, I need all this stuff and uh, ship it out when you can and we'll set it up and here we go, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It it just kind of, uh, they, they got what they could get to us. I mean, it was during, you know, that first year it was, you know, like, we can't get this, we can't get that. I think we're still getting shipments that we requested, you know? Yeah. 
early in our opening, right? Well, yeah, so, oh, yeah. hey, we finally got this. Here you go. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's going across the country for sure. Huh? Yeah. 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 The supply, the supply for sure is, is uh, it's getting better, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Definitely yeah. seems like it's starting to, you know, uh, free up quite a bit. So when people come into your shop and they, they want to go fishing, is there like certain areas around Phoenix that you guys send them? Is there a guide service that you guys have that people can can uh, hire and go out to these areas that you have close by, or how does that work? Yeah, there there are some local guides. Uh, it, you know, this listen, this is the desert. Yeah, and and the desert means there's not the same kind of water that there is in like Colorado or Wyoming or Montana, right? We, right. We, we don't have that kind of water. There's no question about it. However, you'd be very surprised at how much water we actually do have um, in in and around the Phoenix area. And you know, one of the things we do a lot of here is we fish the canals for grass carp, common carp. Uh, I've caught bass. I've caught shad. I've caught stripers out of the canal. Oh, I want to go do that. And there's literally <laughs> there's literally hundreds of miles, really, of canals going right through town. They're all accessible. You can fish almost all of them. Um, and there's just, I mean, there's huge numbers of massive carp in the canal. And so we, we do that a lot. Excellent. That sounds like a blast. And you guys are, you guys have, yep. you have, you guys developed some flies for them in that area that they like, are they, are you, are you sight fishing to them? Are they up on the surface? You know, it, it's a, it's a cool thing and they change during different times of the year. Of course, yeah. um, there's a big population of grass carp, the uh, white amers, and they, they put them in to keep the vegetation down. Okay. But you know, predominantly my, my number one pattern to go for those when they're on the surface, which in the summertime, they'll be on the surface in a lot of places. And this time of year right now, they almost go dormant. Things are, the water gets pretty cold and yeah, I don't know what they're eating. I can't really tell, but I'll use a chartreuse egg with floatants on the top and a chartreuse or a olive colored San Juan worm about 24 inches below it. Interesting. Cool. That, I mean, it looks like vegetation, right? Um, they, that's, I mean, I might have some variations of that, some spun up deer hair in kind of an olive color that I'll float. Sometimes that'll work. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they'll eat that green egg and green worm really pretty regularly. I mean, it's, they're a challenging fish to chase. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons we enjoy, you know, chasing them. In fact, I think a lot of people, you know, as you watch these Facebook groups and people talking about chasing carp, I mean, there's people that I talk to that have spent years trying to catch a grass carp. <laughs> and they, they just, they, I mean, and I, and some days I get it right They're yeah. They're, they'll come up and they'll look at that fly and they'll go around the other side and look at it Oh yeah. and they'll back up, they'll <laughs> swim away. They'll come back. They'll push it around with their nose mm-hmm. and you know, they can be real challenging and they spook real easily. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you, you have to make, you know, to increase your chances of catching them you got to be able to make a very accurate cast. Have you guys, you, you know, maybe a, go ahead. Oh, have you, have you guys, um, have you guys ever, um, 
thought about doing like a tournament out there or have you done that for a carp tournament? We've done a couple of carp rallies. So we did one our first year. We did one, uh, last year was our second year and we do it in the fall. Uh We, you can fish kind of anywhere that you want to go to now, you know, by nature of how we record and you're, you take it, you come in and get a mat on the morning of the rally and you have to take a picture of your car with the, you know, with the mat. Smart. Yeah. Cool. So we know it's, it's that day and they have to send it in. So they got to have phone service. Okay. There's some lakes just around the edges of town that have prolific carp populations that are real fun to go chase carp on, but you don't have phone service or it's real sketchy. So, you know, it'd be tough to go out there mm-hmm. and get those photos back in. Um, but we do those, we do a carp rally. We're committed to doing those. And, uh, the vendors have gotten on board with those pretty well. And all the proceeds in those events go to a local charity of some sort. Excellent. I'm going to, I'm going to officially invite you, man. We have, uh, out here on Lake Isabella in May, we've been doing this thing, this, uh, tournament called carp fest and, uh, it's been amazing. Um, we have, you know, carp in Lake Isabella and, uh, want to invite you and, and your friends to come out and, and fish in that for sure. You know, that's usually in May. So we'll have to, we'll have to arrange that, you know, and please let me know when you guys have your carp rally and uh i could get a group of people to come over there too and and participate in that man that'd be fun that would be cool yeah make sure you get those dates to me for uh, sure, for sure. as soon as you can yeah and as we get closer like we'll promote it on our social media platform and in the shop and try to get a group of guys to guys or guys and gals yeah we got a lot of gals that are they're pretty good at chasing those carp over here as right well. on right on um there's another one. Well, that'd be cool, yeah. There's another one that uh, I like to uh, compete in myself called the Carp Throwdown in San Diego at uh, a lake called Lake Henshaw, and it's the, these these carp come up and eat grasshoppers and other things on the surface. And um, Conway Bowman down there puts a, a really good um, tournament on, and so we we've been doing that um, for a few years now. And that what I'd like to do. I don't know what you think about this, but it would be fun to do like a little circuit, you know, like um, ours and the throwdown and then the and something with you guys, you know, something like that, where we have this like everybody comes and fishes in the, the different ones, you know, that'd be a blast. Don't you think? That that would be really cool. Do we have yeah. a little circuit going? Yeah, yeah, it'd be really cool. I mean, it's there's there's so many people that are interested in, in fishing for carp now and they're and they're a lot of fun and it's just. It's good times for sure. So tell me about uh, yeah. tell me about your um, your other your areas that you go. And I know your one of your favorite places to fish is the White Mountains. And I've never been there, so what's that all about? Well, so Arizona is very diverse in terms of its you know ecosystem and elevations. We've got the Grand Canyon, yeah. the Colorado River running across the north end of the state, right? And you've got so I'm going away. I'm going to get to the White Mountains in a long, circuitous way. But the uh, the the water from the Colorado Mountains flows into the Colorado River, dammed up at Lake Powell, mm-hmm. and then it you know goes through the Grand Canyon, which is really along the the whole northern end of the state and along down the western side of the state. The Colorado River flows. Tons of great opportunities to fish uh, trout, stripers 
smallmouth, largemouth, catfish, bluegill, red ear, all, all along that stretch. And then if you kind of drop over to the eastern side of the state along New Mexico, about central part of Arizona, on that, along that eastern border, there's an area called the White Mountains. And there are, you know, up in the White Mountains, there's at least 35 high elevation trout lakes. There might even be a few more that I, I can't even, when I try to name them, I can't even keep track of all of them. Wow. And then, then along with that, there are hundreds, if not thousands of miles of little tiny spring creeks. Awesome. So they all kind of fall off of the white mountains in different directions and, and converge, come together and they form a couple of river systems, the, the White River, the Black River, and then those all those those two rivers come together and form the Salt River, and they dam those up in at four different lakes. Now those lakes are in kind of in the desert area; they're warmer water lakes, um, but in the mountains it goes up over up to twelve thousand feet. And wow. so there's, you know, a lot of that country is up over, almost all of it's up over 7,000 feet. So big, tree, big, all, tree, big trees, pine trees and stuff like that, it sounds like. Yeah, lots of pine trees, yeah. uh, aspens, oh, and, nice. um, you know, the, 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 the creek. We don't have big rivers that you're going to float, per se, but there's mm -hmm. lots of little tiny spring creeks. Uh, the wild Apaches, which only exist in Arizona, the native trout to Arizona, they live up there and they're, you know, fairly prolific in certain stream systems up there. Is that, is that trout doing well or is it, uh, is there, is it endangered or anything or is it, is it do well? You know, it's, it's doing well. Uh -huh. They, uh, they thought they had lost them and then they had discovered them, you know, somewhere along the way up in these high elevation streams uh -huh. and they got a program going in the hatchery where they, you know, repopulated and they've, you know, they've got a, they get federal funding and so they have certain stocking requirements in certain waters. So there are places where they do stock them. There's a lake up there that they uh, stock trophy Apaches. Now they're not typically a stillwater fish, so I, I don't know how well they survive year after year. Uh -huh. But they'll replenish that lake, and it's it's kind of a pay-to-play lake. It's on the Indian Reserve up there, mm -hmm. uh, and you only only let like twenty-five people a day on it. But you can catch you know twenty to twenty-five inch Apaches, and they they really like to eat dry flies, so it's real fun. You're sight fishing to them, and oh, fun! Um, and then the the, the strip, you know, the the Apaches live in real small spring creeks. That's where they thrive. Mm -hmm. And so traditionally, you know, they don't get a whole lot over, you know, 10, 12 inches. I mean, if they're in their native wild habitat, they're, they're, you're not going to run into a 20 inch Apache trout. That's just not what they, what they do. Um, there are lots of, there's several streams that you can get into and, and catch them in their wild habitat. Most of them are going to be smaller, but they're, uh, you'll fish them with maybe a two or a three weight primarily. Is uh, so there must be a hatchery like an, a, a native Apache hatchery somewhere around up in there, huh? Yeah, there is. There's a, I think it's a federal hatchery. I'm, I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, Game and Fish may have a hatchery where they work on Apache trout as well. I, I uh, 
I, I you know what I don't pay that close attention to it. I know that you know they're doing a good job, and I'm we are we do support gaming fish in a big way in our shop, but yeah, it's just like all the little details. So, but I, I think there's a, a state hatchery and a federal hatchery that raises those Apache trout. Hey, I got to tell you a story, man. Uh, one of my favorite places to fish in Arizona, and uh, I you know I go to I don't know how how far is Laughlin from Phoenix. That's Gosh, probably, a couple probably, hours. probably about four hours, three, four hours. Oh, that's way over. It's way over there, huh? Uh, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, you know, Laughlin's probably about f- four or five hours for me, too. But um, mm-hmm. I try to go there every year, usually in uh, this month or, or January. And I don't know if you know know this, man, but right right in front of the casinos, there's like giant carp that hang out in right, right in front of the casinos. And uh, there's trout and then there's stripers. And so over the years, we've kind of discovered all that. And then there's smallmouth and largemouth in the back bays and stuff. And I've, I've fallen in love with that place because, one, no one hardly fishes it, you know. And the fishing is is uh, got so many different species that you can target. It's just an amazing fishery. And and then you, you can stay at the hotels, you know, that are super cheap, you know, <laughs> like, like 25, <laughs> 30 bucks because they want you to gamble, you know, so you can get... Uh, you know, a really cheap room, but I, this is, this is funny, man. So I, I was, uh, I was there with some buds and we were, you know, I, we like to play poker, you know, so we're in a poker tournament. I'm not very good. So we're in the poker tournament. It's like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. I, I get all in, I, I get, I lose. Right. So I go, Hey, I'm going to go check out the boardwalk down, you know, in front of the, in front of, uh, Harrah's and all that. And they're, all right, later dude. And so I went down and I'm, you know, the, the whole river is lit up at night. I mean, it, it's like mm-hmm. daylight yeah, yeah. because of all the casinos. And I'm looking down there. I wanted to go look at the car because that was the other reason why we were there. But then I started looking and I'm like, oh, my God, there's like, there's flashes, you know. I'm like, those are trout. And then behind the trout were stripers trying to eat the eat the trout. So I ran back up to my hotel room, got my waders on, you know, and went through the casino with my fly rod and my waders and hopped over the, the railing and, and started fishing. And then my buddies finally got... Uh, knocked out of the tournament and they came down and what are you doing i'm like guys check out these trout and it was holding up some pretty nice trout you know just uh stripping underneath the docks and having a blast i mean what a cool little fishery man and you can float it and all that and it's crystal clear and do you ever go fish over there at all you know i haven't but i i've seen a few posts and i've seen some people talking about it yeah Uh, i just haven't taken the time to go there i've been there years ago yeah and it's something you Here's what's funny. You know, you think about Arizona. I've been fly fishing Arizona for 45 years. (laughs) I have, and I incessantly fly fish. I'm probably like, you're no different. You're addicted, yeah. (laughs) I'm addicted. I do it all the time. I mean, I'm I'm generally fishing two, three, four days a week. I mean, I get out at least for something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've fished a lot of Arizona water. But there is still so much water in Arizona that I haven't touched. Isn't that awesome? Or, or maybe I fished there, but I was fishing for bass, and then I, you know, hey, I could go there and just target carp, or yeah. I could go there and target stripers, right? Or, right. Yeah. Uh, but that's a trip. Like, when are you going to go up there? I'd be, I'd be. Yeah, we can. We, for... should, we should meet over there. I think. I think we have a trip planned. Um, like our actual club, the Southern Sierra Fly Fishers, is already planning a trip for next December, and uh, we're putting that together. But I'll make sure that we we include you for sure, so you can come over and check it out with us. 
And I'd I, like to get up there this December. December's a good time to go and chase them. It is. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes the only bummer is that sometimes it gets windy and uh, that's the only bummer. I like to float it. So we'll, we'll uh, put in those little uh, fish cat scouts, you know, that have the oars mm-hmm. and we'll put, yeah. we'll put in there at the bridge right above uh, uh, Laughlin's resort there. Um, Don Laughlin's resort. It's right by the bridge um, in Laughlin and, you put in there and you can float all the way down to one of the campgrounds and it's, you know, class one, there's no rapids or nothing. It's just, it's yeah, yeah. Nice. you can just cast to the banks and stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. You know what else I'm going to go do is, uh, uh, you know, Alex Katie, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Alex is, um, he's, he loves to fish for bass and so do I. So, you know, we fished uh, together and we're going to go down and kind of explore that, zone down there by Blythe and all that, you know, down even more south and check out the smallmouth and stuff down in that zone, which would be a yeah, blast. Yeah, he, he comes over, he comes over to our shop and he comes, uh, he always stops along the, uh, in Yuma there and he's got some spots there yeah. that he fishes and, and there's a ton of, you know, there's a ton of water down there, the canals, the Colorado yeah. river, all the little back bays. I mean, so cool. One of the things people come into our shop all the time. From out of state, uh, yeah. Oregon or Washington, Colorado, a, a fly shop in Phoenix. Where do you guys fish in Phoenix? Where do you guys talk? And so we have we have a famous line. We kind of well, I, I don't know what they do in Oregon, but here we try to fish in the water. <laughs> Sometimes we're stuck in the tree, but we're we're trying to be in the water. <laughs> That's good. One, yeah, yeah. I've, um, I when I first opened, man, I you know. People were just tripping out, you know, on you're opening up a fly shop in Kernville. Where do you guys fly fish? And, you know, I'm like right on my shop is like on the water, basically, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like we fly fish in the river. Oh, I've, I've never seen anybody fly fishing here before. And I'm like, well, yeah, we we're going to be yeah fly fishing here for sure. <laughs> the things you hear. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Oh, I, I know it. It's just, uh, it's, but everybody has their, their own little, you know, I mean, wherever they're at on their journey with fly fishing is, yeah. is they, you know, think of a river run through it, right. Predominantly yeah. or, you know, or the mountains fishing for trout and that's, well, that's what fly fishing is. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. There, you know, as we know, there's, there's, there's quite a bit, you know, of a wider range yeah, of every fish that you can go after. So, you know, you know, one of the things that I, I, I really admire that you're doing is you're, you're really getting the community involved, um, with your fly shop. I think that's amazing and, and really cool. Um, the other thing that I, I'm really, uh, stoked that you're doing is you're doing a bunch of a charity work and, you know, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. It's, um, so I uh, don't even know exactly where to start, but I, I'll tell you, I had, before the shop was open, Yeah, I happened to be, so I, I, I'll give you just a brief background of where I came from professionally. Sure. And uh, I have built a private wealth management firm over the past 32 years. I've got nine initials behind my name, a master's degree. I do really, <laughs> yeah, I've got a team of tax lawyers. I mean, it's a different world, right? But yeah, that's yeah. like my world. I kind of spent my life in and I still, um, am in that world. And I, I, you know, in that world, I have a lot of opportunities to, um, 
workshops, professional workshops, leadership workshops, whatnot. And I was in a workshop probably three, four years ago. It was a three-day workshop, and they were generally very impactful and an opportunity for introspection into life. And I walked out of that on a Sunday night. I'll, it, it, it was a life-changing event, and I'll give you a little flavor of it. But I, I walked out on the Sunday night. I'm driving home, and as I'm driving home, I'm talking to myself, and I'm saying, you know, I, I really have an amazing life. I'm an amazing family, uh, great kids, great relationship with my wife. My business is fantastic. Life has just been, like, I've been so blessed in life. <laughs> awesome. And I... And I also realized from that weekend that I was playing very small with my life. And I said, you know, there is, I realized there's so much more of me to give to the world to make this world a better place to live. And I, I don't want to play small anymore. I don't know what it means or what it looks like. And the next morning I got a phone call. It could have been, it was a phone call from God, but it was a friend of mine, Tom, Mm -hmm. He was on the board of directors for the Homeless ID Project. They're raising money, and he's giving me a spiel. I stopped him in the middle. I said, Tom, I'm going to write a check, and I'm going to deliver it to whoever it is that can get me involved because I'm not going to give you a check without being involved. Mm -hmm. Now, up to that point in my life, I had written a lot of checks for charity, and it was stopped at a check. Like, here's some money. Go do your thing. And, but I realized I, I want to be involved and give of myself. And so I started down this journey and it was probably oh, four years ago at this point, four or five years ago. I'm the president of that organization now, and I sit on several other boards. Um, and so as we opened up the fly shop, our fly shop, I, I say this to our staff, I say it to our community all the time. And that this fly shop does not belong to me. It does not belong to us that work in the fly shop. This fly shop belongs to the community. And we are stewards of this fly shop for the community. And our commitment is to serve the fly fishing community and also to serve the broader community. And so, you know, every chance that we get, and primarily we'll have events throughout the year, then with those events, we'll have raffles and we'll have, um, you know, some other avenues, but we, all the raffle proceeds go to charity. We'll have the ladies from casting for recovery come to the events and they cook food. We, we buy all the food for them and they'll cook up hamburgers, hot dogs, mm-hmm. and then people don't take donations. And so they get, they keep all those donations they get to, to fund, uh, you know, casting for recovery in Arizona. But our, our first 12 months in business, we gave over 25,000 local charities. Nice. And so that was, you know, we gave to the Homeless ID Project, which provides identification for homeless people trying to get off the street. We, this year we'll do over 12,000 identification documents for uh, people trying to get off the streets that are homeless. We support the Mayfly Project, which works with foster kids through fly fishing, uh, the Casting for Recovery. Uh, there's a scout camp for underprivileged kids uh, for a week for fly fishing. We support that camp. Um, nice. Of course, Casting for Recovery. There's several different conservation efforts that we support. In fact, this mm-hmm. month we're in a partnership with Arizona Game and Fish, 
where 5% of all of our rod sales are going to conservate on the ground conservation efforts with Arizona game and fish department. And so, you know, we, we really, I mean, I'm in a fortunate situation that this fly shop is not how I have to feed my family. Yeah. Um, and so we can really be able to give back to the community with, with what we're doing there at the shop. Very cool. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Dakova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So is there a lot of homeless in in Phoenix? <laughs> you know, there's homeless people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to talk it's hard about that. To know what, it's hard to know what the number is. Uh-huh. Um, but I, but the best number we have is in 2019, I believe there were 44,000 families in Maricopa County, oh. which is the Phoenix area. Yeah, there were 44,000 families evicted from their home. Wow! Now, it, it, here's so if you're evicted from a home or or an apartment, nobody's going to rent to you, right? You, you know. Yeah. And so is that relate directly to homelessness? Yeah. In, in a lot of ways it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learn a lot about, you know, being in the middle of all this. It's, it's interesting. We have a tent city in Phoenix mm-hmm. and we also have a place called the human services campus in Phoenix. It's a 15 acre campus. There's a, it's a 13 acre campus. I'm sorry. With 15 to 20 different nonprofits, all on the campus working together to help people and their homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so there's everything from, Hey, we can help you to get an ID. We've got medical care, dental care, addictive mental health care, rapid rehousing, uh, uh job placement service. Um, all there's just tons of all these, you know, 15 to 20 different agencies working together. And then right outside that area, there's a big tent area. And people will come down and kind of do a tour of this campus and uh, learn about what's going on. But when they come down, they see this tent city. It's really the way I call it. Mm-hmm. And they they all say, oh, "I I thought this was only in California. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this was it. What, what this is? I had no idea this was here. What? Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean." <laughs> You know, you see it on, I think, I don't watch the news, but I hear about it on the national news in California. People, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's bad for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know that if it's, 
as bad here as it is there. I don't know what those numbers are really, but you know, when you've got, there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of homeless people, you know, and lots of different stories behind them. Right. And every different story you can imagine. I mean, it's a, it's a serious problem that's going on all over the whole country without a doubt. You know, I was, I was up in, uh, Portland. I don't know if you've been there lately. And, uh, I was, I was shocked at Portland. You know, they're just, they're living in, you know, this downtown area and, you know, putting up, they can, they're allowed to put their tents on anywhere they want, you know, uh, on the sidewalks mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's, it's re- really bad. I had, I had never experienced that before. I was like, Whoa. And, and downtown Portland is beautiful, you know? And then you got, mm-hmm. the, and you got, it's, it's a really bad problem. It's kind of like downtown LA too. It's, pretty bad as well well you know so so here's some interesting i mean i'm going to give you a little insight from yeah. the subject yeah homeless and and i i listen i'm fundraising i'm the president of this organization um homeless id project and so we're talking and, and educating the general public as much as we can i'll take this opportunity to do a little bit of that please um of the homeless population we all have this vision of what is homeless Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when I hear a homelessness, I first think of a old gray haired guy sitting on the, on the curb. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I, I see. Right. That's okay. Now we know that of the people that are homeless today in this country, 75% of those people will be homeless less than one year and they will never, ever be homeless ever again. Mm, nice. of those people bounce in and out of homelessness over time. And 15% of those people that are homeless today are what we would call episodically homeless. They're, they, for some reason, they don't want to be a part of society. They Mm. just, just leave me alone. And this Mm -hmm. is how I, this is actually, I I want to kind of live this nomadic life. Maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, we all have this vision of, okay, well, how did they get there? Right. Mm-hmm. Drugs, it's drugs, and I don't know if drugs got them there or if they, you know, if you could imagine if you ended up in a homeless situation, you're scared, you're uncomfortable, it's miserable, and somebody gives you something that makes you feel a little bit better. Oh my gosh, that mm-hmm. that was great, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it probably doesn't take long if you're not in the drug situation to become in the drug situation. Mm-hmm. But the number one common denominator that causes homelessness in this country, and this, this to me, like I'm going to have to, it's going to be hard to get it out without choking up a little bit because it, it touches me so much. Mm-hmm. The number one common denominator in this country that contributes to homelessness is foster care. Mm. Interesting. So we don't, these are things that are kind of out of our world, right? We don't even think about it. Yeah. We don't like to think about it. We don't want to be confronted with it. But these, you know, the chances, I, I assume you, you've not been through the foster system yourself. No. I assume. Yeah. yeah. So you get down on your luck, something goes bad, right? Yeah. Like the chances of you ending up homelessness, uh, homeless, probably not very good. Right. You got a family, you got friends, you got a network of people that are going to help you, help pick you up. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But people coming out of the foster care system, most of them do not know who their mom and dad are. Mm. Brutal. In Arizona, kids that age out of foster care, so they turn 18, they age out of foster care. Nearly 70% of those kids that age out within 12 months are either incarcerated, homeless, or sex trafficked. Whoa. That's crazy. That's broke. That's broken. Yeah. Wow. That's broken. And there's, there's resources for these kids. However, you know, and we say this often that, Hey, there's enough resources in this country to take care of all of these issues. They just haven't gotten connected yet. Wow. There's, there's definitely enough money. There's definitely enough resources. It's just a matter of saying, how do we get them connected and get these people that have, have fallen through the cracks? And, and a lot of the people we're working with at the homeless ID project, I've sat in the office and, you know, they come in, they, they do not know who their mother or father is. That's a very high percentage of the people living on the streets. They don't know that. I mean, imagine what life is like mm-hmm. if you did not know who your mom or dad was or who your brothers or sisters were. Mm. Brutal. Is that what that Mayfly project is? What's that? What is that? So the May the Mayfly project works with foster kids through fly fishing. They have a and oh, I think cool. they've got them in a lot of different states. I think it may have started out in Idaho. Okay. Um, and it's like a twelve session, like an over twelve weeks or or three months. I don't know exactly the outlay. I know that they talked to me about it, and I've understood it uh, mm-hmm. when they talked to me. But there's like a, a certain number of sessions, right? And so. They teach them to fly fish. They, we had, uh, you know, 12 to 15 foster kids. We got a classroom there in the shop and we had 12 to 15 foster kids in there last year. One day for spent four hours, learned the type fly that they were going to go out and catch fish with. Right. And so, that's so cool. <laughs> isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. That's way cool, man. I love that stuff. That is awesome. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of people that are wanting to make a difference, and uh, that's just that's just one of them. One of the, one of the organizations out there trying to make a difference. Oh man, that's awesome! And you're you're kind of the are you the president of that that uh, homeless? I'm ID? not the president. Yeah. Oh, the, I'm the, I'm the president of the board of the homeless ID project. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. And so these a lot of these folks they don't have IDs, and you guys are going out there and helping them get IDs. So they can get jobs well, here, or, is that what you're doing? Yeah. Here's well, so here's the thing is if you end up homeless, mm-hmm. like you don't have a filing cabinet with your birth certificate in it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if you, if you had a wallet when you fell asleep last night, yeah. you don't have it when you woke up. This uh, morning. Got it. Right. Yeah. So, um, and if you think about it, like, I mean, it's just such a simple thing that we take for granted, but you know, mm-hmm. I tell people this, I said, Hey guy, if I, if I, if you took your wallet, your keys oh, and your cell phone. <laughs> and I dropped you off on the other side of town. Yeah. You'd be screwed. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's where these people are at. They, they, they don't have anything. You know, the, here's another one that gets me is a lot of the women that are in abusive relationships, physically and or sexually abused. Mm-hmm. The abuser knows that if they destroy the identification of that female, it's virtually impossible 
for that female to leave. If she leaves, she can't get into an apartment. She can't get into a hotel. She cannot mm. get into a protective shelter. She can't get government assistance. You can't get any of this without an ID. So if she leaves the abusive situation, she has to go on the street. The abuser is just going to go around, find her, bring her back. Mm-hmm. Mm. And this is reality. This happens in our world. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Wow. And so uh, some of these, uh, these gals are being trafficked as well. And yeah, they, well, I'm certain that they end up getting yeah. trafficked. I mean, yeah. the, the whole trafficking thing, like just, it just blows my mind that there's part of society that preys I know. on these people. Yeah. It just, uh, you know, do you remember back, I'm going to go, uh, we've gotten off subject of fly fishing, no. but we're on this subject. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember back when, uh, I think it was when uh, Trump might have been president and there was a big, uh, like a caravan or, or, or I don't know what they called it, but they were coming from Central America and they were marching to the border. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, the national news is kind of telling us a story and they're making, they're painting some picture, right? Yeah. Of whatever it is they're, they're painting, right? So we end up with an opinion about what's kind of going on down there. Well, there's an organization in Phoenix. It's called the Interfaith Council of Phoenix. And it's a group of religious leaders. And there are Christian leaders, Catholic leaders, Baptist, Protestant, Mormon, Muslim, Hindu. It doesn't matter. Like, there's a whole group of all these different religions. And they got together and said, hey, we go to a different place on Sunday morning." But we all believe in love. We believe in humanity. We believe in contribution. And let's get together and see what we can do as a community of faith to make a difference. So they meet once a month and they try to deal with issues that the city or the state needs that they can help with. And so on these meetings that they have, there's usually somebody from the mayor's office or maybe even the governor's office there. And I happened to be there during this time that this, you know, uh, caravan of asylum seekers was, was at the border. Mm. So, you know, we hear something on the news, right? And certainly people were talking like, you know, you could tell they'd been watching the news, but reality was this, these people have, most of these people have been pushed off of their land by drug lords. Um, most of them do not speak Spanish. They speak some sort of a tribal dialect. Okay. That's, that's really sometimes hard to even be able to understand. Mm-hmm. They end up at the border. They have nowhere to go. They can't go back to where they came from. Drug lords have taken their land. Wow. And so they're seeking asylum and there's a whole process. They, you know, have to have a sponsor in outside the U S somewhere. Mm-hmm. They put an ankle bracelet on them. They have to go through all the court systems, right? They're not giving them money. But what was happening is you've got, you know, literally hundreds and thousands of people kind of coming through and then they've got to get dispersed and go out to wherever their quote unquote sponsor. Somebody that says, yeah, I know them. I'll, I'll be responsible for helping them get through the system and get started and whatnot. So somebody comes through the Southern border and they got to get to Iowa, New Jersey, Indiana, Oregon, wherever they have to go, right? Well, so there were some places. I think San Diego was a place that they sent them. Phoenix was a place probably somewhere in Texas. And then from there they would get, you know, bust out 
to wherever they were going. Well, it was on Greyhound buses. The Greyhound buses didn't have enough capacity to like deal with all this like immediately, right? So the you end up at, at a certain time there were you know hundreds or thousands of people around the Greyhound bus station oh living there for three to five days until they could get on a bus and go to their location, right? Yeah. Well, Greyhound's not set up to deal with it. And so it's, it's kind of a cluster, but what, here's what happened is as soon as word got out that this was going on, human traffickers descended upon these locations oh, no. and started to take these people into human trafficking. I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me Wow! that there's a segment of our population that preys on other people like this, but that's reality. That's what's happening. And so then this interfaith council of Phoenix was able to say, Hey, there's certain churches we have where we can put these people. We have we can you know uh, create beds for them. We can have kitchens where we can cook meals for them. We can keep them mm. safe nice. until you know they can get on a bus and go somewhere. But I mean, you just like it, I, it never occurred to me that there's a part of our society that lives and makes their living on preying on other humans. But that's that's real. That's it's insane, man. It's. Uh so evil such a there's a big population of evil people out there for sure it's crazy man what a what a thanks for enlightening me on that for sure That's, hey i'm i'm not hearing you i'm not hearing you it's real jumbled right now i don't know if there's something different we can do well i'm sorry what was that i said i'm not hearing you you're real jumbled the voice i don't know if we got a bad connection or something oh that's weird i, I can hear you really good but stand by for one second that's some super interesting stuff we're back so um one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, was uh, fishing in the uh, Spanish Pyrenees. You know, I saw that you fish there. What uh, That's always been interesting uh, to me, that area. So do you remember what that was like? Man, it, it was really, really beautiful. Uh, it was stream, we were fishing in uh, streams. They were, you know, pretty well. I mean, they were like our little tiny spring creeks. They were bigger streams, it seemed oh, yeah. like. Um, and just really, it's just a, it's a very pretty place to be um i mean the best i can remember i don't remember the names of, of where we were at yeah um you know there was one place in the world over there in europe i, I fished in slovenia and i remember the name of the river actually i took a picture of it the sava bohinka wow a anyhow other than that i can't you know a lot of these are like oh, you've you, been all you over the place pronounce a lot of these <laughs> sounds like well here's the thing is yeah. i I've, I've been all over the place because my wife enjoys traveling now, if it was up to me, if I never had to leave the Western United States again, I'd be very happy. <laughs> right. The Western U.S. has everything I want, right? Yeah, oh, um, for sure. Uh, the people are great. The, the the fishing's great. The scenery is great. The places to visit, you know, um, there's so much to do here. But my wife enjoys traveling, and so um, as part of that deal, we go. Okay, we're going to go there for you know two weeks. I get two or three days to go fish. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and so I'll set up a guide and it's a really cool thing to do. Uh, yeah. You know, when you travel to a place like that, it's like, look, you know, go, oh, yeah. I get ahead and I kind of look at the scene and talk to a couple different guides. And then, mm -hmm. you know, like in Slovenia, well, you're in these countries and most of the time you get stuck in these tourist traps. Yeah. And then those two or three days that I go fly fishing, I'm hanging out with someone that grew up in that culture, and I'm get I get to actually live in that culture. Like, what's it actually like, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were fishing the river there in, in Slovenia. I remember, 
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I mean, it was a really pretty place to fish. And we kind of hiking down the river, this and that. And he's, you know, it was about lunchtime. And he said, well, he said, you know, I, I brought some bars and you know, we can have for lunch, but you know, down here, another hundred yards, there's a, there's a lady up there that, you know, she always would come out and watch me fish. I think she'll fix us a sandwich and coffee. Let's go up there and talk to her. And so literally we go up and this little lady living out in her farm house, you know, and nice. yeah, yeah, come up and she fixes us lunch and awesome? coffee. And I mean, it's just the coolest thing, right? Like, how are you going to get to experience something like that without, you know, being with that guy? Yeah. That lives in the culture, right? Absolutely. That's really cool. So I usually end my, my podcasts um, with a question about music. And, okay. uh, and so what I always like to ask is like, you know, what have you been listening to? If anything, um, what's your, your, your musical favorites, um, that sort of thing. So I, I love hearing everybody's different, uh, musical tastes. And so there is no wrong answer. Just, you know, have you, what have you yeah. been listening to? Well, the interesting thing, like look at someone's, uh, you know, we used to call it the iPod or look at their phone, like their yeah. playlist, right? It's, it's yeah. so diverse, right? Yeah. So I actually, believe it or not, another interesting part of my life is I was going to be a musical performer. Really? And I was good enough to be a performer. Wow. Like an instrument? And, uh, instrument? Wise? Yeah, tr- trombone. No way. Played the trombone. Uh-huh. And uh, my freshman year of high school, I was first chair all state. Uh, which is a big deal. Uh-huh. And, and then, um, uh, you know, during high school, I played my trombone between music classes and my own personal practice. I played eight hours a day, almost every day during high school uh-huh. and all through the summer. Right. So I, I was really good. You're a ripper. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was really good. So, but, but the guy, one of the kids I graduated high school with, uh, well, because of that musical background, I have very diverse. I listen to a lot of jazz, a lot of big band. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I also have a hobby. I rodeo, I team rope. And so I've got, got a country flair to me. I like to <laughs> right listen on. to some of the country stuff. Awesome. But one of my one of my best buddies that I still keep in touch with from high school, one of the only guys that I regularly keep in touch with, he played trombone. I was first chair. He was second chair, all state. And... Uh, he went on and made his life in music. So he's the horn player for a band called slightly stupid. Oh yeah, of course. You know, yeah. you know them? Of course. Big yeah. California group. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's I've pretty seen, cool. I've seen them play. Yeah. I must, um, yeah, I've seen, they played in Bakersfield, which is real close to where I'm at. And they played in Bakersfield and I saw them. So I must've seen them. Yeah. So he, when they come to Phoenix, which they do like during the summer tour, they always make a stop in Phoenix or Flagstaff in Arizona. Uh-huh. But he stays with me, and I'm usually sitting right on stage behind him when they're playing. And, no way. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, it's, it's I, I, uh, I got a wide, wide array of, of music. I listen to a lot of big band stuff, um, like uh, Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band, which is out of L.A. They, you probably, most people probably don't know of them, but uh, what are they called? You remember the movie Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band? Cool. And fat is spelled P H A T. Okay. It's a really tight big band, which is not, you know, it's not something that's real common in today's world. He's got yeah. a lot of his own original music that he wrote for it. But you remember the uh, the movie, The Incredibles? Yeah. Okay. They did the soundtrack for The Incredibles. Oh, okay. So it's, if you, if you ever. Gordon Goodwin, Fat, um, fat what was it? 
Big Fat Band. T H A T is how they spell Big fat. Big Fat Band. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So if you like, if you like. Uh, Big band. It's a modern day. I think they're kind of the leading modern day big band out there, as far as I can tell. Okay. Um, Gordon Wood, big band. Awesome. And I listen to some some pop. I mean, I have uh-huh. I my my my. Uh, I listen to Spotify a lot, and I you know I actually listen to Megan Trainer sometimes. I mean, I think she's got a hippie mm-hmm. beat to her and kind of an upbeat, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll listen to some pop, um, country, mm-hmm. and then you know a lot of big band stuff. Well, my uh, and classic classic uh, rock as well. Yeah, you know, I'm a very wide, diverse music listening. Yes, um, very similar to me too. I'm I love all kinds of music, but uh, you'll have to check out uh, my band, man. We're called the Stoneflies, and uh, we've got two trombones in our in our band. If you ever get a chance, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, send me a if you can send me a link. Oh, for um, sure. I'd love to. I'd well, love to check it out, especially if you got two two trombones. That's yeah. Uh, if you go on, if you go on to. Um, YouTube, you can see our video. You'll see uh, one of the trombones playing with us on the video. His name's Scabone Stan, and he he plays with a whole bunch of different bands. But I, you know, trom- trombone, uh, sax, and trumpet. Sometimes two trombones at the same time, and uh, it's kind of a ska reggae style band as well. And, yeah, uh, cool. But I think you dig it because the uh, the trombone solos a lot, and you know, it's kind of a free form kind of a thing, kind of jazz on top of uh, reggae kind of fun yeah if it's got trombone i i uh i like to listen to it i i do there's a lot of stuff you know like trombone solo or trombone heavy jazz like i definitely seek that type of stuff out uh, it still gives me goosebumps when i when it when the trombone gets going up. Oh, man. <laughs> that's awesome man well chris man i what a great podcast you know talking to you and all about what's going on with your shop and um, what you're doing with all the, the homeless and the foster kids and everything. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you being on the, on the show, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me and send me, make sure you send me some links. Let's keep in touch. Uh, yeah. if you've got the dates for, yeah. for your, uh, carp uh, tournament out there, man, I'd love to get it on my calendar to make sure that I get out there and try to bring a handful of people with me. Um, we'll, That'd be cool. We'll do that for sure, bud. Sounds good. Okay, my man. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.